Carlos has been with Reevolution for years now, and he joins us today to talk about his time spent incarcerated, as well as his transition to free society. How do you feel about this statement? Incarceration has become a business. I guess that one kind of hits pretty close to home, being that like I was incarcerated and like knowing a little bit about CDCR and like what it does and like how it uh, operates because um, I worked inside of a PIA Optical for three years and that is a prison industry authority and they have, it's like a multi-million dollar business and they have multiple um, multiple shops. So I worked at Cal PIA, so I, I, worked, I made glasses in there and uh, we get paid 80 cents an hour. Like uh, PIA, like just the institutions itself make money off of everybody, you know what I mean? That's actually in prison. Um, but just like as far as like like modern day slavery, you know, like we're in there getting paid like minimum wage in there is is literally uh, eight cents an hour or 11 cents an hour. But it's it's really ridiculous. And then there's a good amount of people who owe restitution. Right. And uh, what happens is the state takes 55 percent of whatever whatever these people make 55 percent. And that's even including. You know, if my family sends me money while I'm incarcerated and I owe restitution, they take 55% of my family's money, you know? And so if you're getting paid eight cents an hour and they're taking 55%, you're only getting paid 3.5 cents an hour. You multiply that by eight hours, that's, that's it's, it's ridiculous. You can't even survive. That's like enough to buy a couple of soups, like in one day or a soup. And how are you gonna make a soup, break a soup into three meals? You know what I'm saying? So it upsets me. You know, that this kind of stuff still exists today, 2021, you know, like we're human beings. Were there any other difficult issues that you had to confront while you were incarcerated? And can you speak on the mental or psychological effect that it had on you? I guess like one of the biggest things was probably most recent. And that's like, like how they handled the pandemic, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, I understand that uh, a lot of people, it hit a lot of people off guard, but like the way that authorities like handled the situation was really not good because a lot of people are dying and have died because of it. Um, they cut off visits. So like a lot of people couldn't see their families and like, uh, it, it takes a huge toll on people, you know? Do you feel like there was an extra like level of isolation than prior to COVID that maybe worsened mental health? Oh, absolutely. For one, before you can go out to the yard and you can see there's four buildings on a yard so i can see everybody from all these other buildings and as the corn the COVID hit you couldn't you couldn't see anybody from any other building right and then uh when like we went on quarantine you couldn't even see anybody in the building anybody in any other rooms you were just stuck in your cell and you're around eight other people 24 7 and you guys are just pretty much staring at the wall you know and that's that's what it boiled down to and groups, we didn't have groups no more. They cut out groups. That really um, didn't help because like recovery is important to a lot of people, especially in there, you know, people trying to get their stuff together and learn how to cope with situations like this. So yeah, it was just really hard. What or who was the biggest source of support for you while incarcerated? The biggest source of su- support for myself would have to be like my family, my kids, Revolution. My kids were like, like the motivation for me to like change and wanted to change, you know? And like, they gave me something to like push for. And so like when I first got a job in there, cause I had the same job for three years, I worked in PIA Optical. And so like when I first got a job in there, my intention behind that was because 
I didn't want to call because a lot of a lot of people who are incarcerated, you know, we, we like to call home and be like, hey, we need some money. You know, like the food's gross in here. You know, can you send me 20 bucks so I can buy myself some food on canteen? And so, like, really, I didn't want to be that person. Like, I didn't want to be the one to take food out of my kid's mouth. You know, I should be the one supplying and uh, uh, being able to support them. So I really, like, was, like, trying to find a good job. And I got, like, one of the best jobs I can have in there, making 80 cents an hour. So if you think people, minimum wage is 8 cents, I'm making what 10 people make, you know? And so I just felt really grateful. And I took that opportunity to, to save up a little bit of money so I could be a little bit financially stable when I got out. And also so I didn't have to take away from my kid's mouth and I could actually like put food in my kid's mouth, you know, make sure that every birthday I have three kids. So make sure every birthday they can have what they need or what they want. And if they ever need like when the pandemic hit, I sent money home immediately because I wanted to make sure that they were taken care of. You know, I, I seen toilet papers were flying off the shelf and I just want to make sure mine were taken care of. And so my family, my kids, my mom was really always there. If I ever needed somebody to talk to, I can call. And just hearing like the, the reinforcement of like, you know, just her seeing my change over the years, she would tell me while I was in prison, like, son, this is the best you've been your whole life. And those would give me like moments to like keep pushing, you know? And then uh, Re-Evolution obviously has played a big part in like my recovery and like, like my role in like society today and like how I give back to my community. And so like, I'm really grateful for them and helping me like figure out what I want to do with my life, you know? And it started from when I was in prison. So I've been working with them for like three years. So I just, I'm really grateful for them. And they're like, like probably one of my biggest supports. Our next question is about whether you had anything that you were afraid of in regards to re-entering free society. When I first got incarcerated, I got incarcerated in 2016. I was 20 years old. So I turned 21 in prison, 22, all the way up to my 25th birthday. I, uh, I, I paroled 11 days before my 25th birthday, mm -hmm. two months ago. and. So I would ask myself when I first got incarcerated, I heard a question. It was like, what are you going to do when you get out? You know, and I was like, I don't know. And then they're like, well, you, you don't have a plan. I said, no, I'll plan. And I still had like six years left. And I, was, and I was like, I'll plan when I'm on my last year. And somebody's like, well, I'm just going to go back to my old neighborhood. And then somebody's like, well, if you go back to your old neighborhood, like you're just going to come back or like end up dead. Or like, what if one of your somebody sees you walking down the street and you're with your kid and they want to hurt you? They might hurt your kid, you know? So that's what really made me open up my mind. I was like, I don't want to put my kids in danger. I don't want to put myself in danger. And so I started planning. You know, I started planning. I started looking for resources. I started looking for uh, transitional housing. I would, uh, and not, not everybody does this in there. You know, a lot of people, uh, they feel like a, uh, there's a lack of resources for us, you know? But anywhere I could find resources, I would always look. I would always ask questions, always networking. And so I would write to transitional housings. I probably wrote over 30 places and I didn't hear back from a lot of them. I didn't hear back from any. And what, I, what I've came to figure is that it's a lot easier when I have people who are outside of prison calling these places and asking them, hey, my son's in prison or this person's in prison and they're really trying to help themselves and how can we get them a bed there? Rather than me writing them telling, hey, this is what I've been doing. I'm in college, I work, I've changed my life. And like, I would love to come stay at your home or your reentry home, you know? So it was just like, it was difficult, you know? It was difficult in that sense because like, what if I didn't have anybody to call for me? Or what if I'm just like everybody, like I don't talk to anybody no more. So um, that, and also like transportation, you know? Transportation, how am I gonna move from point A to point B? Um, what am I gonna do financially? 
you know, they only gave me $200 gate money. So I was making 80 cents an hour. I tried to save, my goal was to save $1,000 before I paroled. I didn't meet that goal because of the pandemic. There was just a lot of worries behind like, where am I gonna stay? What am I gonna do? And I was just planning, I was just planning. My main thing was to plan, plan, plan. Could you share a meaningful story or events that happened during your transition back into society? I mean, really, there's so much like to be grateful for, like for myself and just being out. I was, uh, I was like reflecting the other day of me paroling and like how I felt as I was leaving the gate and what to expect. And it just seems like I've exceeded all my expectations. Like I had a vision of creating these hats, right? And beanies and like, I didn't think it was gonna become a reality, but I've heard this quote before. It's um, when preparation meets opportunity, dreams can become a reality, you know? And so like really just preparing myself for the moment and like having the opportunity, like it became a reality. And like, I'm wearing my merchandise on my head and I see people wearing my merchandise on social media. And I see people wearing my merchandise in Zoom meetings, you know? And it's just like, it amazes me, you know, that I can jump out of prison and be out in two weeks and design something and two months later I'm wearing something or somebody else is wearing something. So I guess that would be it. A lot of people are unaware about a lot of the injustices that happen within like prisons. And from your own experiences, is there something that people should be aware of, like in relation to injustice in prison that they're not aware of? There's a lot of stuff that people aren't aware of. And maybe some some things that people are aware of, but they don't take seriously. Like one is like, I mean, there's not all bad correction officers, but obviously like there is some correction officers who like, I don't know what they got going on at the end of the day. If something bad happened at home, but they, they like to take it out on people, you know, whether whether it's like calling you a name as simple as like, hey, hey stupid or, or whatever, you know, um, to going to somebody and telling somebody, hey, this person snitched on you. And the person that snitched comes out of the hole and they got stabbed. So it's like something as simple as that, you know, like putting somebody else's life in danger, you know? Uh, when you tell people you're incarcerated, do you get like a, any particular response or how do you wish people would respond? Yeah, so um, here's a funny story. I, I always said I was never going to get on TikTok. But as I, as I got out, I got, I got on TikTok and I got a quick... Uh, like I've been out two months and I've been on, I've been on a TikTok for about a month and a half and I got over 3000 followers and I go on live and like, I talk to my followers and like, they're, they're so like supportive. And so like, like my first time getting on, like they were like asking me about it and like I was telling them and like, everybody's so supportive of it, of me, you know? And it's just like when people get to like, understand like who you are, like what you're doing with your life, it's just it gives them a better perspective. Like, cause I mean, there is, there are people who judge. I, I tend to brush that stuff off, you know? Try to like project positivity. That's how I, I like to look at my life. So if people want to judge me based off my incarceration. They don't know what I've done while I was incarcerated. I was in the Honor Society uh, and Merced College. You know, I had a 3.5 GPA, 21 units. I worked the same job. That was the longest I ever had a job was three years. So I was really proud of that, you know, and I, and I progressed really well. So there's just so many great, and I, and I went to so many groups. I got a, a certificate from Bailey University in career readiness. So there was just so many accomplishments I've done while I was incarcerated and I'm so proud of myself. And like, I think people are proud of me too. Like once they figure these things out about me, one of the greatest accomplishments for myself is like, 
is like knowing myself and finding myself and like practicing self-love and self-care you know and like that is like the greatest thing more than like any honor society or three years in, in work like you know um i pick like loving myself before anything obstacles i faced was when i first went to prison because i i was using drugs for a long time i was uh first time i smoked weed was at eight years old the first time i drank alcohol was at seven years old the first time i experienced with uh, meth was at 15 years old the first time I uh, experienced with heroin, I was in prison. I was 22 years old, 21, 21 years old or 22. But I, I was using drugs and I was going to college and I was going to work and I was going to groups and I was walking the line for about a year and a half. And I finally asked myself because it was like I wasn't really, really, really like loving myself. I wasn't really putting myself first. You know, I was putting the drugs first or I was putting my friends first, you know, because we wanted to get high. And so like, I really asked myself and it took somebody like, it took somebody to like point that out to me for me to really uh, acknowledge that and like, and like work on myself even deeper, you know? Why am I using drugs? What does this stem from? And just like doing introspection on myself and just learning to love myself and treat myself. And that's just part of recovery, you know? So I'm really, really grateful. And that's like one of my greatest accomplishments for sure is my sobriety and just like self-love, you know, and peace. Can you kind of talked about self-love and self-care? And we were wondering Absolutely. like how, um, what practices you found to be really good for that? For me today, when I feel a certain way, like if I'm having a conversation with somebody and they're joking with me, but I get my feelings hurt, like I try to acknowledge those feelings today instead of suppressing them, right? So like if I feel hurt, like I'll ask myself, like, why do I feel hurt? And maybe this is an opportunity for me to grow as a person or individual and talk to my inner self, my child, the one that was nine years old and was hurt because of such and such situation, you know, and tell that child, like, it's okay to feel how you're feeling. You know, you don't have to go smoke weed. I practice self-love by acknowledging how I'm feeling, by being aware of certain thoughts, um, by treating myself, you know, exercising, uh, whether it's meditation, exercising, a, a positive self-talk, um, surrounding myself with positive people, like-minded people, you know? Um, those are just some examples. We want to talk about re-evolution a little bit and maybe how okay. it assisted you. How did you, um, like, find out about them? Um, like, why their services were important for you? I, I've pretty much known re-evolution since, like, its birth. I was in a program called Youth Defender Program, and it was like a pilot program. And what it was is it was for youth defenders who were incarcerated 25 and under. It used to be 24 and under, but the law changed and it was 25 and under. So this program had just started in 2017. And I, I went to prison in 2016 in August. <clears throat> so the prison I landed in in January, I had just started that program. <clears throat> so it was a pilot program. Nobody knew how it was going to work. Nobody knew what was going to happen the next year. And it had mentees and mentors. So the mentees were the youngsters, the ones that were just coming in, fresh to prison. They don't know what prison's about. They've only seen movies, you know, and then there was a mentors, people who've been down. They have life sentences, double life sentences, life without the possibility of parole. They've been down 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And so you had these mentors who would help you navigate through prison, right? You would have... Uh, these mentors who would help you navigate through uh, prison. And so the YLP program really gave me a lot of help as far as like, they gave you homework and curriculums and teachings and stuff like that, which were great. The mentors were like 
some of the best things is because I didn't grow up with really too many positive role models in my life. So to have them in such a negative setting really helped me like, helped me like blossom as a person, you know? Um, so that was the YLP program. And what happened was after the first year, uh, we were supposed to become mentors, but Barbara, Howard, and Chrissy uh, thought it would be a good idea to make a junior mentor program. And so they did so with the name Revolution. Because the YLP program was so great, they're like, hey, let's do another year. And so that became the junior mentors. And so the junior mentors, they picked 25 people out of like almost 200 people and they were hand selected and I was one of them. And it was like such a great opportunity for me to like get to know like the people around me a little bit deeper. And it was like such a safe space and such a negative place that like I can go there and talk about whatever. I can go there and be myself. I can go there and like be vulnerable, open up. If I needed to cry, it was cool. You know, even being that I was in prison. So Revolution was just like, it was like the best thing that could have happened like while I was incarcerated, like the best group I could have went to for sure. And they were just so supportive. They were like, they, they come in with like open arms, just the curriculums that they taught, some of the things that they taught were cool. The activities were really fun. Um, some of the greatest moments I could look back and think were, we were with Revolution in our like meetings and stuff or our groups and stuff. As I got out, they were so supportive, you know, like very supportive. And um, when I got out, like, what do you need? You need clothes? They got me clothes, you know. Uh, they hooked me up with the job. Now I work with them. I'm the youth program specialist and I help them like create curriculums and stuff. And I was doing a, a community outreach. I was calling people who, who are getting out like me, asking if they need resources and stuff. So it's just like really cool being a part of it, you know, because like I feel like it's my opportunity to give back and and I'm able to do that with them, you know. So we were wondering, uh, what are some of your favorite memories from your time with them? Um, okay, so activities wise, we were in a group and we used to do like so many different activities. The best thing was like it was never the same. And that's why like it was it was so awesome because we had group every third Saturday of every month so it was once a month and it was every third saturday and it'd be for five hours and it was like that for uh 2018 2019 and then some of 2020 so it was like that for almost three years until the pandemic hit i just remember like one time we everybody had to stand in a line right and we were doing this activity and the person in front of you had to sing a song and then as you went down the line nobody can sing that same song and so people were singing tupac biggie too short drake you know country all this different stuff and every time it hit me i was always i was always singing nursery songs right because it was like the easiest thing to remember and nobody was going to sing a nursery song right we're in prison so like a b c d and a twinkle twinkle every time it hit me right and we're just everybody was laughing everybody was laughing and it was just such a great time we just have one more question for you, and that's about prison reform. If you had the opportunity to reform anything about the like prison system, um, how would you reform it, or what what would you suggest? I would say in mass incarceration, right? Like our prisons are like highly populated, and they haven't always been like that. You know, just within the last 20, 30 years, they've like increased like dramatically. Like, I mean, it went from like 200,000, I think, in the 70s or 80s. And now we're like, you know, or not 200,000, excuse me. Like, I don't, I'm not exactly sure on the numbers, but I know that the numbers have increased dramatically and the prisons are packed. And especially right now during COVID, like, how are you going to, how are you going to hold 
a, a cell at, at 100% capacity. There's eight people in a pod. There's eight beds, and there's no way you can social distance. Um, especially right now, this is just the right time to end mass incarceration and leave it like that, you know, and just provide more resources for people when they get out. Reentry is very important. If we can help the people who are inside that are trans transitioning into society, we're ultimately helping society because we don't want these people to go back. You know what I mean? Building a better economy, building a better education, saving money from the prisons and putting it into schools and listen mass incarceration.